This is a Rooster Teeth production. October 19th, 1995, United Airlines Flight 976, a flight from Buenos Aires to New York boards passengers. Gerard Finneran, a 59-year-old Wall Street investment banker, is already drunk when he enters the plane. Before takeoff, he loudly demands a different seat and steals a bottle of champagne from the galley. Later in the flight, he's caught stealing champagne again. A flight attendant tells Gerard he needs a break from alcohol. Gerard threatens violence but returns to his seat. A little later, he stumbles through first class, climbs onto a service trolley, and defecates. He then cleans himself up with some napkins and proceeds to stomp around in his own feces and wipes them on the walls of the plane. What happens when passengers become unruly on flights? What recourse does the crew and airlines have? How will crappy passengers like Gerard Finneran be punished? And how has the airline industry responded to the massive increase in disruptive passengers over the last few years? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, it's Chris and Gus, but backwards. This time I'm telling the story. Uh, what's what? It like? What's it like being Chris, Gus? It's uh, uh it, it's it's interesting. I'm nervous. I don't know what I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going on. You're talking about planes. Someone's pooping on a uh, trolley. Uh, <laughs> this is this is not what I expected to be talking about this morning. No, no, it never is. It's never what you want. I'm I'm curious to hear uh, what happened to uh, our friend Gerard. Yeah, but before we get into that, I want to remind everyone go to at Black Box Down Pod on social media and follow us. We got images. We got images. Now, I'm not going to post images of Gerard's poop thing, but... Thank you. I, uh, we appreciate that. <laughs> well, there will be some supplemental things, and you can also... We, that's where we post a lot of our um, animated versions of the show. We have... Uh, what else do we got? Uh, all kinds of stuff. We also have... Uh, don't forget our premium experience at blackboxdownpod.com, where people can uh, uh, support us by and get ad-free episodes and get them early. Lots of places to go. Lots of things to look at. Yeah. Oh, also... I know it's maybe too early, but holidays are coming up. And so you start thinking about like gifts and things. Black Box Down merch. Oh, that's true. Always good. Yeah, we, we've got uh, shirts, mugs, stickers, uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So getting into it, obviously, this episode's a little different. Um, so I'm curious. I, have, I, 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 I assume you're going to talk about this. Yeah. But right off the bat, this incident happened in 1995, I think you said. So it's uh-huh. pre-September 11th. So I'm yeah. curious how things changed and what happened to this guy. Because I feel like nowadays uh, they would have just immediately put this guy on a plane to Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So we're not just going to cover that incident. Right? I'm just kind of go through like a history kind of of air rage and unruly passengers and just like what happened, you know, because... We've all seen the videos of people on planes like fighting with the crew or with other passengers and then getting kicked off the plane and like what happens to them after that or what happened to them back then and how has it changed? And um, yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like especially now with the proliferation of cameras on cell mm-hmm. phones, you see like a lot of this. Yeah. Also, the proliferation of people being upset on on planes true it's actually true. increased a lot which i'll get into and this is actually kind of similar uh way back uh i did an episode on the history of hijackings uh, yeah so Good it's kind of structured similar to that so if you like that you're in luck if you didn't uh well there's next week <laughs> <laughs> don't tell yourself short chris this is really interesting stuff okay so getting into the history of it all 
The first commercial airline flight was in 1914. So we're talking like 11 years after the Wright brothers. Yeah. The first recorded air rage incident wasn't reported until 1947, which is 33 years later. Wow. So that's a, a big time where everyone got along, I guess. World War II really changed, uh, yep. changed everything. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like a big reason that there was no like air rage incidents as there, one, there weren't that many commercial flights in general. And when they did have flights, they had a lot less people, and most of the people were rich. And there were also two world wars and a depression. So it just you know, wasn't a lot to as many incidents. Mm-hmm. The first incident that I mentioned was uh, 1947, and the details are kind of sketchy because they just didn't keep good documentation about those kind of things back then, was a drunk male passenger on a flight from Havana, Cuba to Miami, Florida. He physically assaulted and then injured another passenger with a bottle of alcohol. Assaulted them with a bottle of alcohol? Like hit him yeah. over the head or something? That Yeah. I didn't have details on it, but yeah. that's what I would imagine. So drank the alcohol and then hit the, you know, I don't know if he finished it, but. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> but while he was being subdued, he also injured three crew members. Wow. Yeah. So he was raging. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, absolutely. When the flight reached Miami, the destination, he was turned over to authorities and arrested. And guess what he was charged with? Uh, wasting alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Likely because no one knew who had jurisdiction to prosecute him. Mm. It could also be why there's not very much information. Like you said, details yeah. are, are scarce. Like they didn't even do anything about it. Yeah. Like the, and they're like, well, I don't know. Is he, do we take him to Cuba or... Do we do in Florida and, you know, and I think they just didn't know what really the process was. Also, mm-hmm. there were, I'm sure, lots of unruly passengers in that time period, but a lot of the incidents aren't documented, like I said, because it was just older. But airlines, it's also, it's speculated that airlines would try to cover up incidents a lot more mm. because air travel was so new and they didn't want negative press. Right. And they didn't want to make potential passengers nervous about flying. So, yeah, a lot of airlines just didn't press charges, regardless of the misconduct. Based on what you've already said, Chris, uh-huh. I'm going to take a stab in the dark. And I'm uh-huh. going to say 99% of these probably involve alcohol. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them do. <laughs> There's a lot of alcohol cases. But, I mean, also masks is a big thing more recently, mm. you know. Okay, yeah. So, going back to reporting these incidents, right? There wasn't really a process to report them. You know, like the FAA wasn't even founded until 1958. So, and that's 10 years after the first incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was, there was a, uh, not to like step on your, your episode here, Chris, but there, there was an agency that predated the FAA. I want to say it was like the CAA. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But yeah, it's it, 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 it just to clarify, it is a weird time, you know? Yeah, there, there's just like not just the process like there is today, you know, of where they actually have all the cases documented mm-hmm. um, that are reported. Plus, uh, I, um, the FAA is typically not like a uh, an enforcement agency. They just kind of like develop uh, uh, rules. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't believe they actually have like any... Police, right? <laughs> like the FAA yeah. is not going not yeah. to show up with like a gun and handcuffs and, and <laughs> no. arrest anyone. Yeah. No, they, they don't have that authority. 
And the preceding agency was the CAB, the Civil Aeronautics uh, Administration, Civil Aeronautics Board. <laughs> there it is, CAB. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of um, passengers in general in the industry was just, it was a different experience back then. It was more of a luxury. Yeah. These are like the 1% at the yeah. time who are like uh, flying because it's so crazy expensive. Yeah. Like it didn't matter what ticket you had. You, it was really expensive and a luxury. And part of that was like the back then the government was regulating the price of tickets. Right. Which I, I think is something that people forget nowadays. Yeah. I didn't know that until this. <laughs> yeah. Airline deregulation didn't happen until um, 1978. Yeah, I was going to say it was Jimmy the Carter. 70s. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah. sure if it was Carter or not. There you go. You got the information. I got it. It was, it was like three sentences down. You're ahead of it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other thing too, is because ticket pricing was so regulated, the customer experience and not the price was really way more important to an airline success. Right. Because they could, they could lose money on it because the government was picking up the tab. Yeah, and so like that was another reason too. Like airlines didn't want bad press; they wanted to make the customer happy and their experience as pleasant as possible. Because you know, it's not like it's like they're going to come because the price is cheap. Because that's not even up to them, right? But yeah, nineteen seventies air travel was becoming more popular, and fuel prices were really high. So that's whenever airlines were having a harder time, you know, staying afloat or in the in air. The air. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jimmy, that's whenever Jimmy Carter deregulated the industry, hoped that it would decrease costs and increase efficiency. And then suddenly you have a lot more people flying in general, more crowded planes and the disparity growing between first class and coach. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about the causes of air rage, like what are the big causes of air rage? Well, stress, long lines, lack of space, which lack of space makes people territorial and like mm. fighty and they want to like this is mine i get this like move out of the way i want the armrest you know yeah the armrest i was gonna <laughs> i was gonna say and then lack of sleep fear of flying feeling of powerlessness and then also disparity between you know classes like first mm -hmm. class and coach and economy like, it really sounds almost like if you were to describe that, it almost sounds like one of those cruel psychological experiments that, you know, it's like you sort people and tell them where they can sit and what they can get, you know, based on how much money they have or something like that. You know, it's like, why, why would you do that? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, alcohol is obviously a huge factor with air rage and, and, and just unruly customers. Mm -hmm. But an academic study of incidents from 2016 found that the presence of a first-class section in an airplane made it 3.84 times more likely that someone in economy would act out. That's pretty significant. I yeah. wonder if there are studies and numbers comparing an airline like Southwest Airlines, which doesn't have different classes, compared to other you know, flag carriers that oh. do have different classes of service. Yeah, I mean, I would, Im I would imagine they have less. I mean, based, I mean... According to this. Yeah, because 3.84 times yeah. is, that's a huge, that's a huge increase. Yeah. And making economy class passengers bored from the front of the plane where they get to see the comforts offered mm -hmm. to first class exasperates it because they're like walking past it, you know? Mm -hmm. Just having a first class and stuff is like exasperates 
passengers the same as like a really long delay, like hours and hours of delay, just having Interesting. a first class. Well, I think the, the solution's simple, Chris. Make everyone wear blinders as they walk through first <laughs> class. I mean, it's right yeah. there in front of us. And that's the thing is no one has, has ever gotten upset about being forced to put things on their face on an airplane. Mm-hmm. So, it's, of course, it would, it, that was obviously a great solution. But yeah, you could see like how g- going into the 80s and 90s, like a lot of those factors all kind of started precipitating in a really bad way, you know? I say bad as in like, well, air travel became more accessible, which is great, but also seats smaller, more cramped, just more stressful travel, just more people. I'm, I'm curious, you know, this isn't, this isn't necessarily what you're talking about. It's a little ancillary. My brain kind of goes on tangent sometimes. Uh-huh. And I wonder, you know, you talk about seats being smaller, uh, you know, starting like in the 70s and 80s with deregulation uh-huh. and, you know, continuing to now. But we all know as time has gone on, people have gotten bigger. So I wonder like hmm. with, you know, approaching it from both ends with seats getting smaller and people getting bigger, like how that compounds on each other and how that, you know, like has like a, a magnifying effect and makes the spaces seem even smaller compared to yeah. when seats were bigger and people were smaller. I hadn't thought about the the growth of people, but like, like, you know, we talked about some of the planes that people fly and if they are well-maintained, they can, li- I say live, like the, <laughs> they can last for a really long time, you know, like you can mm-hmm. have a, you know, 20-something, 30-year-old plane, right? And in that time, like how much bigger has people gotten? Right. Oh, and didn't we talk about one episode about like the average weight of part of the reason that there's an incident was because the they needed to increase the weight of the average person yeah there was a there was there was definitely uh we, we covered a a crash that happened because of that because people had gotten heavier than the tables uh that the that the airline was using to estimate people's weight well people and their luggage had gotten both heavier uh and, and you know the plane was overweight and couldn't take off yeah i hadn't even thought about the 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 size factor that's one of the things i like about aviation it was one of the reasons i like doing this podcast is you can see, you know, a very clear piece of data and then you like start thinking about like other ancillary things related mm. to it and like things that you wouldn't necessarily think of right away. It's like, oh, all of this is combining in an yeah. unexpected way to cause a problem. Yeah. So going back to Gerard. I already forgot about him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like I had to like because his his was in the 90s. So this is kind of at that time where, you know, people are getting angry and there's a rise in in. In incidents, or certainly they're better documented at this time. Yeah. That's a big thing, too. It's like they're just prior to the 90s, they just weren't, there wasn't as well documentation on it. But you have Gerard, a guy who got drunk and defecated on the food cart in first class. Now you have alcohol, which we talked about is a big motivator, right? But we also have a disparity between the haves and the have nots going on with Gerard. Mm hmm. Even though he's in first class. So he was a first class passenger. Yes. Okay. But the president of Portugal was on that flight. <laughs> and this is a flight from Argentina to New York, right? Buenos Aires uh-huh. to New York. Is that what you said? Yeah. The president of Portugal and another diplomat, because this was, I think it was an anniversary of the UN or something like that. Some thing in New York where there were like diplomats on the plane. And so because of, you know, a president of a country being on the plane, they had like the security details had like cordoned off certain sections. And I th- there was a bathroom that had been blocked off that he wanted to use. 
mm-hmm. or needed to use. And whenever he wasn't, he got upset that he wasn't allowed to use it. So he decided to find his own bathroom. As you do. <laughs> As you do. And then that's when you poop on the cart. After that, he went and locked himself in a different bathroom. And then like a person who was traveling with him and a flight attendant had to like spend a lot of time to get him out. They eventually got him to a seat and he fell asleep and they had to cover him up with blankets because of the smell. They couldn't serve food because of, you know, it wasn't sanitary. So they didn't eat on that flight and they were gonna uh, land early and to kick him off. But because again, the diplomats, the president, they really don't, do unexpected uh, trips like that. So they weren't allowed to detour and, and kick him off. So he made it through the whole flight. Oh, well, good for him. <laughs> yeah. Like normally, you know, they would have landed somewhere and kicked him off. And then, yeah. But yeah, he made it through the flight. So in one way, he was lucky the president was on board because he made it to his destination. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what happened afterwards when the plane landed? He was arrested by the FBI on several charges of interfering with a flight crew. And eventually, he pled guilty to one count of making a threat. He was fined $5,000 and sentenced to 300 hours of community service. He also agreed to reimburse United Airlines $1,000 for cleaning the aircraft and reimburse all the passengers on the plane for their tickets. Oh, man. Do you want to guess how much that might be? (laughs) I I was going to say, I can't imagine how much money that would be. Uh, What kind of plane was it? It's a Boeing 767. 300 ER. So you're probably looking at about 220, 230 people, international flight. Uh, let's say, I'm going to pull up my calculator here. Uh, 220, let's say 600 bucks a person. That doesn't seem right. Is that $132,000? That can't be right. That's high. I mean, maybe it wasn't a full flight, too. I, I don't know. Oh, the, true, true. Yeah. It was 48000 Oh, plus it's also 1995 prices. Yeah, 1995. Yeah, yeah, 48,000. Okay, that's a that's a lot. Not as much as I was expecting, but that's still a lot of money to 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 take a poop on a food cart. Yeah, it's an expensive poop. Uh, I mean, also his defense uh, in the trial was that he was having an emergency and he wasn't allowed to access the bathroom. It really went the angle of like a medical emergency. But you said he locked himself in another bathroom afterwards. Yeah, that's the thing. Why would he get up on a food cart if it's an emergency? Just <laughs> and why would he like stomp around in it and stuff? Yeah, he was also I... like stealing alcohol. It's like, come on, dude. Huh. <laughs> I mean, I don't get me wrong. I've I've needed to go before, but uh, <laughs> things things that have not entered my mind are like jumping up on a food cart and taking <laughs> a poop on that and then smearing it around. Yeah, and that's why it's like I think it kind of stems from like the anger of being told you can't do this, you can't have alcohol, you can't go to this bathroom being disgruntled. Do you know, um, what was the nationality of Gerard? He was um, American. Of course. I, I go, yeah, of he course. was American. I mean, he was a, a Wall Street investment banker. He was? Well, he, he's not. He, he passed away, I think, in like 2004 or something. But yeah, he, he's 59-year-old Wall Street investment banker. And I mean, he was a rich, a rich banker, I would assume. Huh. Interesting. Why? No, no, no. I, I knew, of course, he would be uh, 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 American. I guess, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I wasn't sure. I guess I'm trying to picture in my mind who it was or what kind of person this was. Uh, investment banker, you know, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's, uh, it, that tracks. 
I think it was someone who is, and this He's is all, used this to getting his way. Get used to getting his way and being in first class, and then being whenever he's saying like, "No, you can't do this." Oh, the, you know, this because of the the president and you know these things. I think that's that's what got him upset, and just being told. I mean, he was stealing alcohol before the plane even started, like while they were boarding. Well, he he was getting ready to start stealing pensions once he landed <laughs> and got to work uh, at his investment <laughs> banker job. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You can subscribe to HelloFresh and check save money off of your fall to-do list because HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout and less expensive than grocery shopping, too. Uh, With HelloFresh, ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in less than seven days, so you know they're fresh. Plus, pre-portioned ingredients make cooking a snap and cuts down on food waste. I love it. It's super simple. The instructions are super easy to follow and it takes just, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes and you're done. Just just last night, I actually made some black bean burritos uh, with some uh, peppers in them and onions. It was awesome. So good. I think it took me 25 minutes to make it all. And when I was done, I was eating a delicious meal. So go to HelloFresh.com slash BlackBoxDown65. Use code BlackBoxDown65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash BlackBoxDown to the number six and the number five. Use code BlackBoxDown65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Go check it out. Thanks a bunch, HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Your loved ones are complex, beautiful mysteries, but Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Whether you're shopping for mom, dad, teenagers, in-laws, or your best friends, Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find remarkable, truly original gifts for anyone. Uncommon Goods wants your holiday season to be stress-free, so check out their selection of thousands of items today. Uh, I was just browsing around earlier today, actually. Saw some uh, really cool things. Like, uh, what do they call it? A magic cordless light bulb. Uh, how does it work? Magic. Maybe batteries. Uh, <laughs> one of those old uh, retro like 3D v- uh, image viewers, but you can put your own images in it. Uh, you can like relive your childhood with modern memories. Why not? Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. Who knows what holiday ship is going to look like this season, and the unique gifts at Uncommon Goods can sell out fast, so shop now, get it taken care of early. Uncommon experiences are more than virtual classes. They're unexpected opportunities to have fun and connect in new ways, from tarot card reading, romantic map making, cooking, and mixology classes, and more. No matter what they're into, Uncommon Goods has the perfect gift from art, and jewelry to kitchen, home and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone, not the same lackluster gifts you could find just anywhere. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice, and they've donated more than $2.5 million to date. So to get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash blackboxdown. That's uncommongoods.com slash blackboxdown for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon goods were all out of the ordinary. Using the internet without ExpressVPNs, like leaving your keys in your car while you run into the gas station for a snack. Most of the time, maybe you'll be fine, but what if you come back to see someone driving off with your car? Every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data like passwords, financial details, and it doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone, just some cheap hardware. I bet you a smart 12-year-old could do it. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal info on the dark web. ExpressVPN is great because it creates an encrypted tunnel. It's a secure link between your device and the internet, so hackers can't steal your sensitive data. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. Uh, If you don't know, that's a lot of years. Fire up the app, click one button to get protected. Phones, laptops, tablets, and more so you can stay secure on the go. 
I think it's great. Uh, I never connect to an unknown network without a VPN. Uh, you should be absolutely doing the same. So secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash blackboxdown. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash blackboxdown. Get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash blackboxdown. So back to the fine, 48000 The thing is, is back at that time, the, the fines, the civil fines were really low. They were capped at 1,100. 1,000, like in total? Civil penalty cap at that time was 1,100, which is incredibly low, right? Yeah. I'm not sure the exact rule of this trial, but I think, you know, he was compensating for the passengers. He, he paid like $1,000 to United Airlines for cleaning the aircraft and stuff. But the actual just like civil penalty was 1,100. That was the max. Wow. And again, with the increase in kind of like the 90s and it becoming a bigger issue, that was increased to 25000 around 1999. Uh, inflation. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a huge increase from like 1000 to 25000 But I, But needed because people were kind of going crazy, right? Right. Then the question is like, okay, how does the airline handle disgruntled passengers? And prior to 9-11, it was a lot more common for pilots to actually get directly involved. Really? Like the the pilot would come out of the cockpit and start fighting people. Yes. (laughs) It's like a video game. Like you, it's like you fight all the flight attendants and then like the (laughs) boss battle, like the the pilot comes out of the cockpit. Well, I mean, that's what I, it was to me. It was like, you're acting up and as a kid, in the car or on the bus and your parents are yelling at you and you're like, don't make me pull, don't let me pull over, you know, and come back there. It's, you know, except for they were 30,000 feet in the air and it was mm-hmm. a plane, right? To be fair, you know, at that time, airplanes, that's around the time whenever uh, there were flight engineers in addition to, uh. so they were first officer, captain, flight engineer in most planes right i like to think it's like hockey where they've got one guy in the cockpit who's just like really burly and he's just there to fight it's like you got the you got the captain you got the first officer you got the flight engineer and you got the you got the bruiser is there a problem in the cockpit send the bruiser back it's like some dude who just lifts weights all day long i mean it's not like the, the 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 other flight crew didn't get involved but the captain was he or she would be like the authority and so oh don't make me get the captain kind of thing mm-hmm so yeah, there was more redundancy with an engineer, but they started phasing out engineers with newer planes, as you know, right. like in the 80s and 90s, right? What's the exact time period? There, would you there say? wasn't like an exact cutoff, but that I'd say about that, about the 80s uh, is when you started really seeing a decrease in flight engineers. Yeah. So in general, not a good idea for the pilots to be going back to deal with passengers. <laughs> and this is also like passengers were way more likely to go up and start dealing with the pilots at this time. What do, you, what do you mean? Well, like they'd go up and want to fight the pilot? Yeah. Here's a case. Uh, March 16th, 2000, aboard Alaska Airlines Flight 259 from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico to San Francisco. Did I say that okay? Yeah, pretty good. A man broke through the cockpit door and attacked the pilots and lunged for the controls. Like he just barreled through. And Pilots had actually been alerted that he was coming, and the co-pilot was armed with an axe. What? I guess like the fire axe or something? I guess so. Like when you said it sounded like a video game. Like I that's what it it's like fighting their way up to the to the front of the plane. 
So then there was like a fight broke out with an axe. The co-pilot, I think, was, you know, injured with his own axe, I think. Uh, They fought him off while flying the plane and eventually had to get on the intercom and ask for help from passengers. Uh, That is not an announcement I want to hear. No. (laughs) If you don't mind, we're uh, in the middle of a battle with Mm -hmm. a passenger. Uh, if if anyone's mind. got some potions or some buffs, uh, <laughs> we could use them right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, seven passengers came in and wrestled the assailant to the ground, and then he was arrested. But like that's like pilots were just way more involved to that. According to a study in 2000, the aviation safety reporting system at NASA, unruly passengers could cause a pilot to make serious flying errors in large part because in 40% of the 152 cases that were analyzed, pilots either left the cockpit to go help deal with a dangerous situation or were otherwise distracted by the crisis to the point that in half of the incidents, it adversely affected the pilot's performance. Right, because I mean, if you think about it, you don't want the pilots leaving the cockpit because anyone could fight a drunk person, but there's only two people who can presumably (laughs) fly the plane uh, that that are up there. Yeah, and if they get injured, fight, then it's like now you have one or two, you know? And also, like, even if they don't go fight them, it's like they're they're nervous that, wait, well, is it, you know, they feel maybe more responsible because it's, I guess, under their kind of like... Yeah, it's their responsibility, their, their flight. Yeah. Yeah, but it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously this changed after 9-11, you know, cockpits were redesigned to be safer and inaccessible from the outside. And now it's like the pilots aren't supposed to leave if there's issues, right? They're supposed to stay. It's very structured. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's it kind of falls upon like the crew, the rest of the crew to deal with unruly passengers. And uh, air marshals, if there happens to be one there. Yeah. The thing that's interesting and I think we, I know we've talked about this some in the past, but there's not like a set way that flight attendants deal with out of control passengers. There's not like regulated equipment. I don't know if you've seen it, Gus. There probably have, but there was a really like a viral video recently of a woman who was duct taped to the seat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Hannibal Lecter style, like after she became violent on a flight. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were surprised. That like well, they just duct tape her, you know. But according, this is uh, Jeff Price, a uh, professor of aviation management at Metropolitan State University of Denver. He says it's common to use duct tape to secure a person who represents a threat to the flight or others. So duct tape is just a thing that that happens. It's mm-hmm. not uncommon. I think some airlines will also have like uh, zip tie cuffs mm-hmm. or like ways to restrain, you know, uh, people or uh, you know keep them in their seat. Yeah, uh, but it's like you said, it's not standardized. Yeah, and and I think in Australia they have some planes have like tasers and things oh. like that. I would think that you know no, the rationale I would think is that they wouldn't want that on a plane would be that that could be taken and then used against mm-hmm. the crew. Yeah, and and that might have um I have to let me double check on that. I read it in an article, but I'm not sure what time that article was written. So I'm kind of I'm gonna check that. We have a, a little plug for our social media. We have, or I've seen uh, messages on uh, Instagram and Twitter from people who work in the aviation industry, and they've sent me photos of uh, uh, restraining devices that they have on planes. Oh, really? Oh, I would yeah. love to see that. Uh, should... Go go through our inbox and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll see some in there. Uh, I'll see if I can find some. Maybe we can post some of that stuff without yeah. 
tagging anybody. I wouldn't. I don't want to call yeah, anyone yeah, out yeah. or any specific airline. Uh, I'll look and I'll see if I can find some uh, restraints and not uh, indicate, you know, who sent yeah. it or, or anything like that. But yeah, it's it was just interesting to me that there's like it's so different, like even airline to airline, not even country to country. But yeah, part of the cabin crew training is in de-escalation and restraint techniques and any equipment if it is carried by their airline. You know, yeah, like there's no standard, so it's it's really up to the individual airline. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, American Airlines includes restraint cuffs and tape and kits for flight attendants. And it says that airlines policy says flight attendants should try to de-escalate a situation before turning to restraints. And those are used with agreement from the captain if needed to keep a passenger from hurting themselves or others. But like, uh, I think we talked about this as well in a past episode, but a lot of airlines don't want to restrain people because if something goes wrong in the plane, then they're restrained and they can't evacuate. Mm -hmm. But what if they cause something to go wrong by not restraining them? It's a it's a fine line to walk. Yeah. So how they actually deal with disruptive passengers kind of varies. But after 9-11, you know, things became a bit safer. I mean, they became a lot safer because, you know, pilots weren't also like fighting. <laughs> right. And passengers couldn't run in and start fights. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to jump now to kind of more modern day stuff of the past few years. Mm -hmm. So the FAA has a database of incidents, but these are only incidents that are reported to the FAA. It's still an issue where it's like airlines don't have to report every incident. Uh Um, It's at the discretion of the crew member. Security violations are excluded, obviously. You know, those cases are handled by the um, TSA. Mm -hmm. But I'm just going to read some numbers here. 2016, there were 102 cases. 2017, there were 91. 2018, there were 159. 2019, there were 146. Now, 2020, that's COVID, a lot less flights. Yeah, I expect this number to be really low. It's 183. Oh, what? Yeah. I thought, like, air travel really dipped in 2020. I, I expected it to be, like, 40 or something. And that's that's part of the problem is there was a huge increase in unruly passengers and violent incidents and air rage. Wow. Yeah. To the point where in large part because of the stress of COVID and people being more stressed to fly and being more protective of their space. Mm -hmm. uh, And like wanting people to stay away from them. And then also masks became a huge point of contention where people weren't wearing masks. They'd get upset that they had to wear them or they'd get upset that other passengers weren't wearing them correctly. And you mm. have people fighting with each other. You have people yelling. You have people, the airline, you know, telling people, Hey, put your mask on or, you know, just, it becomes an issue where people are just really upset and stressed about flying in general. And then when they do fly, they're fighting about Masks and COVID. Just looking to fight. Yeah. Yeah. And it became such an issue that the FAA had to basically update their policies for dealing with unruly and dangerous behavior. On January 13th in 2021, FAA Administrator Steve Dixon signed an order direct, this is from the FAA, signed an order directing a stricter legal enforcement policy against unruly airline passengers in the wake of recent troubling incidents. 
Historically, the agency has addressed unruly passenger incidents using a variety of methods ranging from warnings and counseling to civil penalties. Under the new zero-tolerance policy, FAA will not address these cases with warnings or counseling. The agency will pursue legal enforcement action against any passenger who assaults, threatens, intimidates, or interferes with airline crew members. In an effort to promote safe and responsible passenger behavior and bring awareness to the zero-tolerance policy, FAA encourages the widest dissemination of the following digital products. And they have some really, it's really, <laughs> their digital products are really funny. <laughs> but basically, you know that $25,000 fine? Yeah. That was increased again, just in 2021 to uh, 37000 per violation. I'm going to be honest. Uh-huh. If the threat of a $25,000 fine isn't enough to stop you from being combative on a flight, mm-hmm. I don't know if the threat of a $37,000 fine is going to change anything. No. Yeah, um, it's it's more penalty, <laughs> but I mean, if you, <laughs> yeah. if uh, that, ex- that extra $12,000, I don't think it's going to stop anyone. Yeah. I, well, and it's per, per violation. So you could end up paying a lot more if you did multiple things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think it's less that, but more just like the... I mean, because yeah, I agree. If you're twenty five thousand, thirty, I mean, it's more money. But if you're going to do something for twenty five, I think it's about the enforcement, the zero tolerance mm-hmm. aspect of it, and the enforcement and the dissemination of the hey, we have zero tolerance here. The there's like the dissemination of that of how strict they are. Yeah, um, and this a lot of this like even the like uh, flight attendants union was like requesting that the FAA do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they get. They take the brunt of it. You know, if they're yeah. going to, people fight them. Yeah. And I mean, it was just coming to a really bad head. This new order went in effect on March 30th of uh, 2021. FAA will pursue legal action with no warning for anyone who assaults, threatens, or intimidates. And uh, so 2020, there were 183 incidents. Guess how mm-hmm. many there were in 2021? I'm going to say like 300, like something insane. 1099. That's even crazier. <laughs> like they inc- I told you they increased the fine, they increased the enforcement. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> well, but you have to think they increased it. This was like in March, right? So, but cases were already like ar- on such a rise, I think from 2020 and they kind of like reached a really like like a height in mm-hmm. 2021. That's when like there was the most anger about masks, I feel like. And people were the most stressed about vaccines. And there's just like a lot of anger in general. Guess the number for 2022 so far. Is it already that same number? Is it already a thousand? No, it's actually gone down. Okay, good. Oh. As of September, it's 680. 680. We're on track to do it again, though. Well, we're on track to have another thousand year at that rate. Sure. Because then you would take a third of that, which is two. So we're on track for about 900. Yeah. So it's it's gonna be presumably a little less unless you know there might be a big increase around Christmas. It's I don't still know. a big, it's still a big still, increase from pre-COVID. Big. It's still big, but that's I think some of that is like the COVID of it all, but also like more airlines are reporting it and trying to deal with it, and maybe the also the fact that there's an increase in fines. Maybe there's more of a impetus for people to for airlines to report things. So maybe it was always happening. They're just reporting it more yeah, diligently I, now. I do think there is more though. Like I think COVID and masks were a, and are a big issue for mm-hmm. for people getting into fights. Because yeah, 2020 
all, all of that before was pretty, you know, normal and steady. And then all of a sudden there was an astronomical increase. Yeah. But yeah, so now we have uh, cases are going through where it's like the highest fines ever. Um, mm-hmm. And it, actually, I, I, I believe one of the first people to get that high new, the new high fine was that video of that woman who's duct tape. Oh. Like she was one of the first people to, to, for it to happen to. She messed around and found out. Yeah. But the FAA is like Dixon, who, who's no longer the FAA director, but he was crediting um, that, that there is a lower number of incidents and he's crediting that like the public service announcements, like he was essentially doing like press stuff, you know, going on to, to, prom- to inform the public about the new fines and the strict regulations and, and no, zero tolerance of it. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I want to, I'm going to send you some of the, uh, they like on, you know, when I was reading that, I said like public service announcements, they, they made these and they're like on their site, like download these and, and share them on social media and print them. And, uh, there's like a, an old lady leaning out of the cockpit. Don't embarrass me. I raised you better to act that way. They're, they're pretty cheesy. There's a fight club one. Yeah, I actually, on the Black Box Down Instagram uh, account, I follow the FAA. I've uh-huh. seen, I've You've seen, seen these? I've seen these. They post these. The second rule of Fight Club is to not fight on a plane. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I act, there, there's one about uh, that says you could have spent $35,000 on a brand new truck, but instead you're paying a fine because you punched a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. I think the Black Box Down account may have liked that image on Instagram. <laughs> I, I, I think I did. That's funny. I was going to post some of these on social. You should. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely should. But I mean, I do think there's like cases are going down. Part of that might also be because of the relaxation of masks in general. But I do think it's good that like there was an issue of fights and the FAA, they step in and they're like changing their policy that just like they did in the late 90s, 2000s. It's like you see unruly passengers are, I think, always going to be an issue on flights, but I guess constantly changing the way in which we deal with them and, and, and addressing whenever we have a rise in them and try and find solutions, I think is mm-hmm. all you can do. The, the Fight Club one is especially funny to me just because of that movie. And there's a plane crash in that movie. Oh, there is. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of the more realistic movie plane crashes. Oh. We haven't talked about that on one of our... Uh, supplemental episodes that'd be no maybe we'll get to that yeah. uh, one eventually but that's about it can i tell you a story chris yeah i want to hear a story this is about a drunk person on a plane but this person did not get into a fight this is a story i've wanted to try to shoehorn into a black box down episode uh-huh. for a long time but i've never found an opportunity to okay uh so i'm gonna talk about it right now there was a, a cricket player from australia named david boone Mm-hmm. And uh, he was flying from Sydney to London uh, for a cricket match back in 1989. And on this flight, he, the, the flight was from Sydney, had a layover in Singapore, and then continued on to London. He broke, there is no like official record for this, uh-huh. but he broke the unofficial record for the most beers drank on a flight. Oh. Do you want to take a guess as to how many cans of beer he drank uh, en route from Sydney to London? Are they the little beers? Like, you know what I mean? Like a typical can of beer, like a 12-ounce can of beer. Okay. Because, you know, they do have... 355 milliliters? Okay. Uh, 98. Oh, that's a lot. You overestimated him. Uh, (laughs) I went high. He he drank 52 cans of beer, 
which is the equivalent of 35 pints uh, in 16 hours. So that's over wow. two pints an hour for 16 hours. Uh, landed in London, uh, went, did a press event. Oh my then God. after the press event, went to an after party, drank three more beers, <laughs> uh, and then went to his hotel room. And I think he slept for like 36 hours. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> that is a phenomenal amount of beer. He didn't fight anyone. He just, uh, he just really decided to throw down and drink a bunch of beer. And he wasn't unruly or anything. He was just, no, I think, uh, if I remember the story, right, I think a lot of the cricket players all decided they wanted to try to break the record. So they were all drinking together. Uh huh. Uh, but he's the one who ended up drinking the most. No. And he, they, not unruly, just uh, they were all having a good time uh, wow. getting unbelievably drunk. I don't know how long it would take me to drink 16 pints of beer. I could, I'm sorry, I don't know how long it would take me to drink uh, 35 pints of beer. It, I could probably drink 35 pints of beer in a week. You know, yeah, I, <laughs> I could do it in a week, I think. But that's five pints of beer a day. God. He, he drank it on one flight, Chris. That's how much did he have to pee? <laughs> and guess what? He didn't pee on a food service cart. <laughs> anyway that's just like a little uh uh aviation footnote i've always wanted to bring up and i thought maybe this was yeah. a, an appropriate avenue for it yeah that's crazy well i have a, a new challenge next time I fly. don't do not no, do I know, not I'm do not, the I'm david not. boone challenge i guarantee you, I, most people would probably get like alcohol oh, i think i would die, die. Yeah. yeah yeah if you're listening don't do it <laughs> do not but yeah that's pretty much it i've been wanting to do this for a while, just because of all, I've seeing all those crazy stories about crazy people on planes. I'm like, what happens to them? And because it's not like most of the time, it's not dangerous. It's not like going to crash the plane, but it's. But it's, it is like they are hurting people. Like yes, I've seen them exactly punching people and fighting. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. Be sure to follow us on Black Box Down Pod, like we mentioned at the beginning. And thank you for listening. And uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye.